The following podcast contains intense motor vehicle sounds. Some listeners may find this distracting while driving. Listener discretion is advised. One lap to go, and Team Altera has extended their lead even further. Ah, son of a Altera's veteran Yvonne Laurent, currently in first, is doing everything she can to block her younger teammate Chris Viceroy from passing. After your Golden Boy's last move, Laurite front tire begin to wobble. There goes Viceroy trying to pass on the inside right along the grass edge, but no such luck. Now with half a lap left, Viceroy's going for the outside where it's slippery and full of dust. But no, blocked again. I can make it. Wow, LeBron is taking everything the young upstart is tossing her way and throwing it right back in his face. Yvonne, 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 the tire can't take it. Run up and get out of the way. Right now. Supersonic Pod Comics presents Codename Superforce Number Two, according to Rotom, written by J.S. Earls, with Sarah Baxley. First, let me apologize for the power dampers on your bionic limbs. It is. It makes me feel human again. So, should I call you Yvonne or Rotem? Rotem is... It is who I am now. Very well. You know, Rotem, I remember that race. I was watching it with my ex. I can't imagine how terrifying it all must have been. Your tire tearing to shreds, car bouncing off Viceroy's, and then bursting into flame and pieces when you hit that crash fence. I can't even imagine. And then, honestly, I never thought you'd survive, let alone sit in the same room as me. All I cared about was winning. All I cared about was more. Well, that was your... It wasn't a championship. Even, even if it were. At least Viceroy survived. Went home to be with his wife and kids. They showed Chris climbing out of his car while you were being airlifted to the trauma center. We. But what if? Well, thankfully, you don't have to answer that. But I do. Every day. 
<laughs> La week before, I had even gotten this tattoo on my neck. First Corinthians 15.32 Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I didn't beg you for a religious person. If parties were a religion, let us say I was once very religious. <laughs> Not anymore. Ooh, party animal? <laughs> no. Not since the crash. Since my legs and arms were amputated. Not since. Yvonne. <laughs> Miss Laurent. My name is Dr. Ian Slane. I'm one of the surgeons that was on call for the 500 when your accident occurred. Now I realize that you're still in a coma and have been for almost two weeks, but I believe, or at least I hope, you can hear me and that my words can offer you some sense of comfort. I lost my wife to cancer a year ago. In fact, the day of your accident was actually the one-year anniversary of her passing. But I didn't volunteer for the race because I wanted to busy my mind and my body to avoid the pain. I did it for our daughter, Cassidy. She's a fan of yours. Well, fan might be a bit of an understatement. but. She looks up to you. Your fearlessness is what helped her face her fears, helped her deal with her mother's death. Your strength inspired her to follow her dream of becoming a police officer. I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about that. But you helped our little girl turn into a brave, a very brave, young woman that I am so proud of. And I only wish, I only wish I could have done more to express my gratitude. I never really told anyone, but before that surgeon's visit, I, I no longer wanted to live. Entirely understandable. But after that visit, I no longer wanted to die. I, I think, I think it even helped me fight my way out of my coma on June 28th. One day I will never, ever forget.
spiritual gift. That visit made me hunger for life. It made me rethink everything. It made me ask, how could I? How could I treat Cassidy's love and the love of those who looked up to me as something I had I had gall to squander. Instead, I... Instead of something I should have been cherishing. His words haunted me, inspired me, made me want to somehow live up to that standard, to those expectations. So why fake your death? Why not be a beacon in the limelight? I used to believe it was so my arrogant accident could be used as a warning. But now, now, I think I was afraid. Uh, I did not trust myself. I still do not. So when the other doctor, Dr. Griffin, came and asked you to secretly test bionic glimpse for the Mechagis Industries. I leapt at the chance. I felt compelled, destined. It, it was all happening so quickly. I said yes to, to many, many things. Things that, looking back, I should have questioned. I was so blinded by good intentions. I dive right in. <laughs> Griffin and Amelia tend to do that. They know just what buttons to push, and they just keep pushing them. Would it surprise you to know that it was Amelia who paid off a member of your pit crew to sabotage that tire? No. Nothing surprises me now. <sighs> so... After you healed from your injuries and amputations, and once they customized your bionic limbs... With my renewed sense of purpose, I, my previous experience as an Olympic speed skater... That's right! I had totally forgotten about that. That's when you started doing that... What was that gesture where you smacked the top of your left wrist? Beiranu! Let's get out of here. Right, right. And now that makes sense why they would choose you to test the spherical mag tires under your boots. It's like ice skating and car racing combined. You are the ideal candidate. We. Oui. Still, even for you, it must have been incredibly challenging. It took a lot of practice, but uh, the many sensors and gyroscopes helped quite a lot. They also told me I was testing them for emergency medical services, law enforcement. So I assume they used those emergency and law enforcement angles to convince you to join Superforce. It was natural. I... They knew I wanted to do good. I wanted to do it in Les Shadows. However, on the day before I officially walked away from everything I knew, or thought I knew. 
into the world of espionage. I wanted to see Cassidy's lane. That night, I snuck out. At least, I thought I did. Now, I know they were probably monitoring my every move. Regardless, I took a completely concealing black smart suit, high-tech, high-speed visor they had given me, and raced down to Hollow Springs, Florida, the town where Cassidy was serving as a police officer. When I arrive, I listen to Lapley's scan of frequency, waiting to hear Cassidy's name or badge number. It took several hours, but I had waited months to meet this brave young woman. I could wait a few more hours. Eventually, I, I heard her name. She was in pursuit of a stolen vehicle. It did not take me long to catch up with her. When I saw the stolen car almost hit an elderly woman, I knew I needed to act quickly before any citizens were injured or worse. After many months of training, I also knew how strong the bionic limbs had made me, so I used them. I used that strength to leap across the hood and shattered the windshield. Slammed into a parked car, Cassidy pulled over, drew her gun, went to check on the driver, he was unconscious, but he had a pulse. That's where she turned and aimed her weapon at me. I did not blame him. <laughs> Vigilantes were outlawed years ago. I did as she asked. <laughs> we simply stared at each other for a moment. She did not know what to make of me. Who I I wanted to tell her that she had saved my life. That she had inspired me as much, if not more, than, than I had inspired. When I heard other police coming, I, I knew I had to return to a secret lab on the other side of the state, but I wanted her to know I was still alive. I at least owed her 
so I did the bear on you gesture. Her eyes became very wide. Uh, she just watched as I rolled away. And never. So I know you already told one of my investigators about your experience with last year's incident. So let's move forward a few months and talk about your first mission after your close encounter. Two to three weeks later, it's difficult to recall a specific length of time. Because Amelia did something to you? <laughs> no. As betrayed as I feel, as we all feel, as much as I'd like to blame everything on her, I believe my failing memory is simply old age. <laughs> I might forget my mechanical limbs if they were not a part of me. Touché. And I will say that while specifics are certainly preferred and appreciated, I'm grateful for your honesty. Two to three weeks also lines up with the timeline we've been able to piece together. But don't worry. Amelia still has plenty she'll be held accountable for. Oui. But she obviously isn't working alone. And it is paramount that we learn just who and or what we're facing. And listen, although the evidence doesn't suggest it, it is still possible Amelia might be acting against her will. We still don't know, but that's what we hope to uncover. And perhaps whatever info you can recall will help us move one step further in the right direction. Also, just to clarify, was this before or after Draco left to find her daughter? I believe it was before we... Draco was still with us when La Origin crashed. In the Sahara, yes? Oui. And do you recall what caused the Origin to go down? Dr. Griffin said it was an alien virus that infected La Origin's hole when it came into contact with Injuro, but... You don't know what to believe anymore. I get it. Just tell it how you remember it. Very well. Um, uh, supposedly, there were reports of statues coming to life. That part's true, actually. The statues were controlled by a guy named Golem King, if I remember correctly. So, you were flying to Japan. We, oui. but we were still... Over Africa, when the sirens began to sound. 
What is happening? I've lost control. Oh, well, thank you, Captain. Obvious. All terrorist veteran Yvonne Lamont currently first is doing everything she can to block her younger teammate, Chris Viceroy, from passing. One moment, the instruments are fine and the horizon is level, and. and then. everything went baddy. And these blasted controls are not responding. There goes Viceroy trying to pass on the inside right along the rack's edge, but no such luck. Not again. We are dropping fast. I feel it. We can all feel it. Four to five hundred feet, maybe more. Buckle up, Superforce. You need to slow down and then create faster. If we're too heavy, I'm sure Vox wouldn't mind. Yet, I do mind. Very much so, Mr. Cowman. However, if we need to lighten load, perhaps we throw your enormous ego out of airlock. Look at you, getting all symbolic -y. Nice one, Vox. Thank you, Cobra. Well, the two of you just please. Not again. Quit your yucking and prepare for an emergency landing. Now with half a lap left, Viceroy's going for the outside where it's slippery and full of dust. Are those the mountain? But no. Blocked again. She's uh, joking, right? Are you freaking kidding me? I can make it. Worst flat ever. Slow down and out of the way. I've regained partial control. Enough to steer us away from the mountains, but... But I can't get the nose up. Wow. LeBron is taking everything to young upstart is tossing her away and throwing it right back in his face. Brace for impact. Codename Superforce was created and produced by J.S. Earls. According to Rotom, written by J.S. Earls with Sarah Baxley. Starring, in order of appearance, Wayne Henderson as the stadium announcer, Patrick Victor as Victor, Sarah Baxley as Rotom, Austin Janowski as Mobius, Joshua Armstrong as Dr. Ian Slane, Matt Kennedy as Vox, Jessica Walsh as Diem, Francisco Ruiz as Vicus, Jenda Chan as Draco. Narrated by Nathan James Norman. Special thanks to Tommy Platt of Sublime Guitars and our Patreon supporters. For info on how you can become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash supersonicpodcomics. Codename Superforce is a production of Supersonic Pod Comics, copyright 2019, all rights reserved. Tune in next week for The Randoms, Episode 2, The Transporter and the Uniter.